0: Welcome back, friends, to another quest story. Quest stories are interviews of inspiring individuals who have overcome obstacles and embarked on difficult journeys on the quest to be their best. And by doing so, they are making a significant impact on this world through their work. I bring you their story so you can become inspired to also bring your talents and strengths, and ideas to make a difference in your community. We all have a story. We all have overcome challenges and came out stronger on the other side. I interviewed my friend Mehmet Sevench in May, and today I finally bring you our wonderful conversation. Mehmet not only shares his story with you, but he also illustrates how powerful personal stories are. As the Director of Business Development at the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, Mehmet teaches leaders to use personal stories to humanize our workplaces. And we can do that by bringing more of us to the workplace. Is that difficult? Sure it is. Does it require some vulnerability? Definitely. And if you're questioning the importance of this, this sharing more of yourself just listen to the stories that Mehmet shares in this interview. Personal stories that make you feel like you know Mehmet for a long time and that help you relate to him. And whether that is your workplace or a group you belong to or just a few friends that you may not be very close with, you'll notice if you share a bit more of yourself, and I've seen this in my own life, it will help you connect more with the people in your life Because we remember stories. We relate to one another through stories. We can connect on a deeper level because now we know we are not alone out there. And others are going through similar challenges. So my friends, I'm so happy to bring you this conversation. And I want you to allow yourself to be inspired by Mehmet and his journey from just a finance guy to a leadership coach who changes people's lives because he listened to himself and so can you. This is the goal of this podcast, this quest for you to help you connect more with yourself. Because when you do that, you can then also connect more deeply with the people around you. Remember, you have wings and you can start expanding them by connecting with the stories in your life that are meaningful to you. And maybe start sharing them with people that you're close to, that you want to have a deeper relationship with. Every time I have opened up just a bit more, I have made more meaningful connections with people. My morning meetup group that I talked a lot about on this podcast is a great example of that. We all share a little bit of our personal lives and that helps us relate to one another but it also binds us together. If you want to connect with Mehmet, you can find him on LinkedIn. I will link to his profile in my show notes. Enjoy my inspiring conversation with my friend, Mehmet Sevinc. Much love. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Mehmet, thank you so much for joining my podcast interview here today quest for you i'm excited this is another zoom interview that we are doing sadly i prefer to do in-person interviews and you and i actually have met in person but we are gonna do what we can do and you're not even anywhere near the bay area which we will get to but thank you so much for joining and would you please introduce yourself
1: hi janine good to see you again even though it's a virtual environment My name is Mehmet Sevinç. Like you said, I am not in the Bay Area right now. I I live in the Bay Area, but right before the pandemic, I came back home to Turkey. I live in Turkey and the U.S. I go back and forth. It was a happy wife, happy life situation (laughs) last year. My wife wanted to move back home. So we moved back to Istanbul, Turkey, and I was going back and forth every like two weeks. And since the pandemic started, I have been in Istanbul, so since mid-February.
0: I bet your wife is happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) Most days. Most
1: days. (laughs) Most days she's happy that I'm home.
0: Yeah. And we met through the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. You came to the company that I work for and did a course there and we connected there. And I want to quickly read the mission for the uh, Coaching Institute, which is to enable all people to develop their authentic selves live their values and make a positive impact in their organization and the world and it touches me because this is very similar to what i want to do with my podcast and not nearly on the scale like you do but if i can just touch someone and have a positive impact i think that would be would make me happy and That's why we're also recording this interview. And I have seen your work in action in the course that you taught, and it was so engaging and creative. And I love the action items, which I also try to do in my podcast. I'm a big action taker. Tell me a little bit more about what you do with the Coaching Institute.
1: When you were reading the mission statement, sometimes it sounds like, oh, man, it sounds a little bit too cheesy you know like finding your values living your authentic self making a positive impact in the world so 7 years ago i was in my previous role and i wasn't very happy my background is in finance and information technologies and i used to sit in front of the computer and code for 8 hours i don't i'm not saying it's it's and there's nothing wrong with that it's just it wasn't me so when I found out this Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, the, the people from Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley, they're the faculty, most of the people who work there are faculty at Haas, that I, when I heard they were coming to my department for a two-day workshop, and the workshop was about authenticity, building trust-based relationships, telling your leadership story, being vulnerable and open. <laughs> and I remember saying, man... This is going to be a torture. Why do I have to share my personal stories? Why do I need to show my authentic self? My authentic self is at home and it should stay at home at work. I am a very serious person, goal oriented, show me the deadlines. I will make sure those deadlines are met. So before going to that workshop, I said, oh, this is going to be two full days. Are you sure you want to pull me out for two days? I used to take myself very seriously <laughs> before working for uh, Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. And those two days were amazing. I got to really meet, not meet, get to know who my colleagues were, what, where they were coming from, what their values are, who they were, what take them, you know, what get them going. And then the, the, the relationships got so much deeper at the end of those two days because we got to see who we really were. We worked on our communication skills. I, I thought I had great communication skills, but it's not really just like <laughs> what you say. It's really about how you say it. So, you know, we went really deep in those two days. It was almost like discovering our own authentic leadership style. And luckily, the professor, Dr. Mark Rutzenberg, the founder of BECI, really liked me for some reason. I don't know why, but he invited me to his MBA classes, at UC Berkeley. And like most people, I I still do. I had some imposter syndrome. And I said, man, I didn't do my MBA at Berkeley. What if I go to this class? These 60 people are way smarter than me. What am I going to do? They think I am a stupid guy. I almost didn't go. And I don't know what would happen if I stayed home on that Sunday morning watching soccer from church. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what would happen, but I, I pushed myself, got out of that comfort zone and Swim into the danger zone, as we call it in our classes. And it was, again, an amazing experience. And it kept going. It kept going. So long story short, I ended up joining BECI, leaving a 13-year career in finance and IT. And it was a very easy decision for me. Mm -hmm. I made some good connections in my previous roles. I'm not going to die. I still am in touch with those people, with, with my previous colleagues. But this is really what I love to do. And I know I'm giving you a, a, a long answer to your question on what you do at Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. It's really about letting people find out about who they are, what their values are, what their intrinsic motivations, extrinsic motivations, and really help them discover their own authentic leadership styles because, you know, there are so many great leaders out there, you name them. You need to find your own authentic way, because it's it's not gonna fit you if you're trying to be the next Cheryl Sandberg or Oprah or Barack Obama, whoever you know. So we really let the people go in a journey of self um, self reflection, finding their leadership stories and mapping those leadership stories to their current lives through going deep on communication skills, storytelling executive coaching, all those, all mm. those, really, if you think about it, really on the soft skill side.
0: First of yeah. all, I want to say that you answer two questions. Uh, you answered another question that I have that now I don't need to ask anymore, which was, you know, what brought you to this kind of work? And I've even written down that it's sometimes interesting how life, you know, life has a tendency of leading us into a direction that we need right, At this moment, and this is exactly how I wrote it down. So you answered the question without knowing it. And what an amazing, you are doing the work that actually has helped you in your life. You didn't just apply for this job because, "Hmm, let me see, I'm interested. No, you actually did the work. You discovered a whole other passion. And and now you're teaching other people how to, to do the same in their life. That's amazing.
1: Thank you. Yes, that's the journey.
0: Yeah, it's the journey, right? And, and I also wanted to touch on this comment that you made with cheesy. I actually think I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have read this statement had it been in any way cheesy. I think it's a very simple and very clear statement that mm-hmm. I've been kind of on this journey myself trying to figure out who is my audience and how can I succinctly say what my podcast is about, which is something I've been struggling with. I love this statement because it is very clear, there is no confusion, and it's not cheesy at all. I think anybody reading this knows exactly the kind of results they can expect out of a workshop. So tell me a little bit, I do remember when we took this workshop storytelling was a big part of this workshop. And I remember we had to sit down with one of our co-workers and we had to share a personal story, which is so uncomfortable when you're at work. <laughs> at least for me, I'm not very open. I don't go around and tell everyone what my weekend was like. I keep to myself, but I, I still feel connected, even though I don't. I didn't become friends with the person that I sat down that day. But I still feel this little connection that I don't feel with other people just because I shared a personal story with them. So there is something, right, about this sharing personal stories with people. What, what is it and what do you teach around that?
1: You know, if you think about it, it's, it's one of the oldest traditions that we have. In the, old, in the old days, what we did, our ancestors you know, lit a fire, gathered around the fire and they exchanged stories. As kids, what we love is the bad stories. So there is this, I think there's something in the brain that really connects to the stories. Even like in the next big town hall, just observe the people. That's that's like one of my favorite things. When your leader or whoever is presenting and say, I would like to share a story. Just see the reaction of people. People actually move on their chairs to get themselves ready for the yeah. story. There's yeah. this amazing reaction. We love stories and we don't do it enough. In workplaces, I don't know the number, but I, I hear hundreds of stories every year in my classes at UC Berkeley, in the workshops all over the world. And I still remember, I actually remember one of your colleagues, the colleagues' story, mm-hmm. and it's more than a year. And it stuck with me. I, I don't remember the name of the gentleman, but it was after the pair exercise. I'm not sure if you remember. We sat in a circle. There were four or five and it was quickly going around and sharing the stories. He started sharing a story about his parents never attending his sports events Mm. when he was growing up. Never, because they were working, they were busy, there was never enough time, and now he has two daughters, and he said, it doesn't matter if I have a full day of meetings, I cancel, and I go to my daughter's sports events because Mm. it really hurts me that my parents couldn't come to mine. And I made myself a promise to never miss one of their games because I know it means a lot to them. Mm. And he, he got very emotional and he apologized. He said, I don't know why, why this is happening. And my response was let's all take a nice deep breath. There's nothing wrong. Uh, You're just given a reaction because you're human. We have emotions, but we shut ourselves so much at workplaces. We never share anything like this. But when you do, I mean, I sometimes call our work rehumanizing the workplace. Mm. <laughs> I love it. It is true. We somehow we lock ourselves, we shut shut down, and we think it is the norm. It is normal to not show that vulnerability, not show that empathy, not show that relationship building. It's it's amazing, and when you do that, we've seen it in so many companies. The relationships got better. There is trust. And when you have trust, you're going to work much better together. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it in so many cases, the productivity, the customer relations, the service all of them show once you know each other, once you connect, once you build those trust, things got much better.
0: Do you have an example of a company that you may be still in touch with or maybe just a person that you know that? this kind of workshop that you do has impacted them and has changed them?
1: I mean, I just ended one three hours ago. It's one of the like big tech companies in San Francisco. Little tip, it's the highest building in San Francisco. <laughs> it's name after them.
0: <laughs> I already know.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we, we just did a workshop together. It was the first day yesterday. And just like yours, we had a small group and people shared their personal stories. And I, I kicked it off by demoing mine. And it was uh, my father's story. Do you want me to share it here? Sure, if you if you want okay. to,
0: I'd love to hear yeah, it. I'd
1: love to, because it was it was a it was an interesting moment for me. It it started as a regular lunch back at my hometown in Turkey, Samsun, which is on the northern part of Turkey. We had a really nice house on the overlooking the Black Sea, and just this regular lunch. I had no idea that how it was going to change the way i think about my father see my father has was a little bit too rough on me growing up you know things were like even when i got sick he would say stop coughing <laughs> you know I'm mm-hmm. like what do you want me to do man i'm 10 years old i get sick i cough so like i would cover my, my mouth and try to cough quietly um I dislocated my finger in a basketball training. Instead of taking me to the doctor, he tried to put my finger back, and I still remember the pain in his office. So he was a little bit, you know, the the Turkish, the Eastern Europe, the Middle East, the tough guy mentality, not showing a lot of love. And during that lunch, I knew he was losing his memory a little bit uh, in the last year or so. So my mom said they have been to the doctor recently, and the doctor was asking them questions, and she said, let me ask. And it was as easy as, which day is today? Which month we are in? What are the name of your grandkids? And it took him a while to answer. Mm. And I didn't realize how serious his memory loss got. He ended up answering, but it took him 15, 20 seconds to answer. And I got very emotional. I started crying and and he saw me crying and he started crying. I've never seen my dad cry before. He's this tough guy. Mm. And a couple of weeks later, I reflected on that moment and I you know, decided I don't know how long he will be around. He's seventy-seven years old. And he is the guy who gave me this personality. I mean, some of it, I'm sure. The positive, the energetic, the I can do this. I mean, whatever I did was good for him. Mm-hmm. He was always he always would always say, I'm proud of you. So that moment changed the way I look at him now. And let's focus on the positive going forward. So I shared this story with this with my small group. And then there were five of them. Four of them shared family stories. You know, we call these universal stories. Most of us have fathers, grandfathers, moms, grandmas, sister, brother. We all have these stories. And it doesn't matter where you are from. I travel all around the world. We do these storytelling. The stories are the same. So when people realize this, my small group, it totally changed the atmosphere in the room. People were like, because we were doing it on Zoom, people were chatting on Zoom, sending (laughs) each other appreciations, acknowledgments. And this morning when we came back, you could see the, the lightness in their faces, the smiles, the high fives, all happening on Zoom. And even that's a that's the proof that we can connect even on these during these virtual times. Human connection can still happen during these virtual days.
0: I agree. I started a meetup group out of the blue. Mm-hmm. I, I have a live in person dinner group with just strangers we meet and have dinner and I call it dinner and conversation and and that I had to put on hold I tried it online but it didn't didn't work so well so I started I had this feeling I want to start a meetup group and connect with people out there and see are people struggling and and here we are I don't know when I started at least a month ago and we're becoming this really connected group and people are relating to another one another and we've never met we do it three times a week and I It's it's only half an hour It's a morning okay. meetup group. I set a theme for the day and we talk about that theme. But here's what I wanted to say is that there have been mornings where I may just say, how's everyone doing? And somebody will sh- share something from their life, a story. And I, in my mind, I just, I let it go. I forget about the theme. And those are the moments that I see the connection really come through. Somebody shares something and then I notice how all the other people are stepping up and they're encouraging that person or they're sharing something from their life. And I see it in action, how what you say that stories help us relate to one another and bring Mm -hmm. us closer together. I mean, these are all strangers, right? And, and yeah, I saw it at work. So my question is, what do you recommend? Is it that we become a little bit more vulnerable with people that we work with and share more? And you, do, is that how you see we will feel better at work about our work? What is your recommendation?
1: I hope there are people who see the value in these things and role model these at work. Mm. As PowerPoint presentation, why not add a little bit of storytelling in it? Because we all get tired of these bullet points. Why not bring a little bit magic into the room. And you know, in the beginning, it's gonna be hard because if, especially if it's a culture that doesn't (laughs) accept that kind of, it will be tough. So having um, people that are in the same mindset like you would help. I really like leaders who understand the value of this human connection and the power of storytelling. And once they actually demo it, give permission to people to do the same, it just changes the culture. All it takes is one person, and then slowly it will spread. But it will be alone. Will, I mean, if, like I said, if, if the culture doesn't accept that, it will be tough for you to, to bring that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up, you know, especially if you are believing in what you are doing. All it takes is one person to take that risk and start building, start bringing that into the workplaces. But I always also say that in Turkish, we have a saying, the, the fish start to smell from the head, and then express to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts from the head. Company is the same. You know, if you're a leader, unfortunately, if they're not open to these kind of exercises or the way, it will be tough.
0: Mm. But it requires a certain amount of willingness to be vulnerable, right? To, mm-hmm. to share a story. And that at the same time then goes in line with authenticity, be able to share something personal for my life like you just shared. I mean, you obviously have a greater sense of comfort within yourself, but a lot of people don't have that. I, I listened to a podcast interview just by chance this morning with Rick Hansen, who also works at uh, UC Berkeley. And he was saying in the interview that a lot of people don't know who they are. This goes back to this authenticity thing. How can you connect with people if you're not willing to be vulnerable and share yourself a little bit?
1: Yeah, you you said something really important, and I'm gonna actually switch the screen and I'm gonna read it because I don't I haven't memorized it. There is a wonderful article, uh, Harvard Business Review article, that we actually bring to many of our classes and workshops. Uh, it's from Bill George, Pierce Sims, and their colleagues, two more colleagues. Discovering your authentic leadership. The, the first page is says this. I'm gonna read it. We all have the capacity to inspire and empower others. But we must first be willing to devote ourselves to our personal growth and development as leaders. So you need to take that time to develop yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know,
1: I'm a huge believer in walking the talk. You can all you know talk about authenticity, being vulnerable. I mean, my favorite thing is people come to us and say, our people don't communicate well. I want some inspiration in their deliveries. Why can't they bring this energy? And, you know, I've seen people, I've seen those people, and there is no inspiration in their deliveries. There is no energy. There is no creativity. There is no bringing magic into the room. There is no walking to talk. So how can you ask your people to do Mm -hmm. those things without you doing that? And to me, it's the lack of awareness, there's no awareness in mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people. Um, so it starts with you, really. How much time are you investing in yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the key point I, I, I heard you were saying, and I yeah. 100% agree.
0: Yeah, it takes initiative from your, you, ha- it has to come from within, can't be forced. So we touched on your life in Turkey i am curious it's a beautiful country that i yet have to visit but i know it's beautiful from everything i've seen and heard from other friends who've been there how did you come to the us what brought you here
1: oh it's another story um, <laughs> when i was in when i was in college i used to be i used to read this magazine called capital and I guess even those like 20 plus years ago, I guess I really loved stories. So every issue had a leadership story in it. And I'm reading these stories of really successful business people. And in each story, I'm, I'm reading a struggle at some part of their life, either in their early careers, when they were studying. And I looked at my life, everything was so easy for me. In Turkey, you know, most of my friends don't leave their houses, they get married so the parents take care of them we don't work (laughs) most of the time like during college not like the us or maybe some other parts of the world but anyways i had a very easy life that's what i realized and i said i don't want to do like i don't i want to change this i always want to go to you move to us and do my mba so i said i'm gonna do my mba and i'm gonna struggle i'm not gonna ask for any money from my parents i'm gonna work uh under the table you know those crazy jobs and I did that and it was so much fun. I did my MBA at San Francisco State University and while doing my MBA, I worked in the ground services department at uh, San Francisco State, which is the, you know, have those beautiful campuses, somebody has to take care of them, cut the grass, water them, um, you know, paint and all that stuff. So that was my first job <laughs> in the U.S. and I was like, man, this is so hard, hard labor. And then my second job was working at a restaurant. You know, I was a waiter, I was a dishwasher, and I loved every single moment of it because I finally saw what, what it means to really like work really hard and don't make a lot of money. And you really need to work hard on those. And it was an eye-opening experience. And then I got lucky and then ended up working in the US. And 16 years later, now I live in Turkey and US, which is I think talked to a lot of my immigrant friends and they're like oh man you have the dream job you know you you're still at home but mm-hmm. you are here you're living the best of both worlds it's knocking on wood that's my situation right now
0: yeah you i love that you created mm-hmm. your story you read you read about experiences that you felt mm-hmm. you didn't have and you wanted to add more experiences to your to your life I mean, this is a lot what I talk about on my podcast, seeking out discomfort because it makes you grow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was something that you got out of this entire experience? Something, how it did it change you in a certain way as a person that maybe otherwise, uh, looking back, it wouldn't no. have happened?
1: Yeah, I think two things I can say is one is there's no way I can tell, say my family was rich or anything. We were just like a middle income family, but I didn't really see the other side to how people struggled in the lower lower income like i used to work with cooks or other waiters from mexico Mm. and you know they were working two shifts eight hour shift that would continue with eight more i've known people who lived in like two-bedroom apartments with eight roommates so that opened my eyes on man like these little things you need to start appreciating more i think that's one of the biggest things for me small things make me happy right now i don't really care which car i drive What. What's the brand of my shoe? I don't really care about those because I finally got to see the other side and which was really mm. important. And then second one, after doing those works for five, six years now, is there is a rule from Benjamin Zander. He's a, a musician from, do you know
0: him? I watched his uh, TED Talk. Oh, okay. It's one of I'm the sorry. best TED Talks ever. Okay is amazing
1: <laughs> yes right do you remember did he, did, does he talk about uh, rule number six in his TED talk
0: probably but I don't remember it's been a while
1: rule number six uh, he came up with this and it just means uh, don't take yourself too to blank the blank seriously huh. and like I mentioned before I used to take myself very seriously <laughs> so right now I don't really
0: hmm.
1: the way I look at the world really impacted me even. With these experiences.
0: Right. So, you were telling me that you are starting something for UC Berkeley in Turkey as well. Did I hear that? That It's a while ago. You were trying to launch a program there as well at the university. Is that right?
1: Uh, So, the the organization that I work for, Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, doesn't have an affiliation with UC Berkeley. The only affiliation we have is we have this 10 day coaching program that is certified by UC Berkeley Executive Education. The other only connection we have is we teach there. So I don't have any initiatives doing anything for UC Berkeley in mm-hmm. Turkey, but I have some vision for Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, which is my organization in Turkey and bringing this amazing work to Europe and Middle East so that you know I established a team here and do more work around here so that I don't have to, to take that 13, 14 hour flight to U.S. all the time. Mm-hmm. And instead take a three hour flight and go to London or three hour flight and go to Abu Dhabi or something. Mm-hmm. So um, my vision is I'm a one person shop here at the moment. And there's still a lot going on in the U.S. But my two, three year vision is to establish our business here and have a team here so that, I spend most of my time in this region and not travel to U.S. all the time.
0: And what do you see some of the challenges might be by doing something like this in Europe? I'm from Europe, so I can kind of guess, sure. but I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: What is your guess? Tell me. What, what I, would be my challenge?
0: Coming to the U.S., I definitely learned to open up more as a person. I think it was the best decision of my life. In Europe, we are... A little, and I'm going to just very be very general, but I I experienced as Europeans a little bit more closed up, more distant, and, you know, it started with when I came, everybody saying, hey, how are you? And this kind of looser approach to life that took me a long time to get used to, but it, yeah. ulti- it ultimately made me a more open and warm person than I would have ever become. So I can imagine there being more resistance to self-improvement mm-hmm. in Europe. And then, of course, there's all the cultural things that in, in Turkey, I don't even know. But I, I, I could see Europeans are a little bit more set in their ways and maybe less likely to receive change. <laughs> That's my guess.
1: I remember, I remember my first month in the U.S., I went on a hike with my friend in Muir Woods.
0: Muir Woods, yeah.
1: We started in Muir Woods. We ended up in Stinston Beach. Oh, yeah, you did that trail. I I think, yeah, it would be beautiful. And I think we ran into, I don't know, 40, 50 people. (laughs) And everyone was like smiling at me and saying, hello, how are you? I'm like, what's wrong with these? (laughs) Same here. Like, what is like, do they know me? They don't know me. So why are they smiling at me? Why are they saying hello? How are you? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. You know, the advantage I have, I think, is teaching at Haas and also doing workshops in the in the Bay Area. You know, it's so multicultural. So, you know, i work worked with people from Turkey, Spain, France, Italy, UK. And I would say, yes, it takes a little bit more time for them to warm up the, let's call it the American way. I'm using the code with my fingers right now. And, you know, we've done workshops in Singapore, Thailand. Yes, it takes a little bit longer, but I think... There is this universal concept that I truly believe in. People want to be seen. People want to be heard. They want to make a contribution. They want to be appreciated, acknowledged. And you know, once they understand the the impact of the work that we provide, people it takes a lot of time for people to some some people to warm up to it a little bit longer. But I think. One of my favorite saying is, we're going to meet you where you are at. We're not going to push you for anything, because I know this is very uncomfortable. Believe me, I was there seven Mm -hmm. years ago. When they asked for a volunteer, I wanted to hide under my seat so they wouldn't pick me. I I was very uncomfortable participating, and that's really the U.S. way. Our way in Berkeley is question us, push us, like as lecturers. We want to hear from you, participate, and that's not the case in many places. So I agree with you, It, it can be a challenge, but i also seen that so many places people open up once you create that safe safe space for them.
0: Mm. Which I think you're, you know how to do. You just demonstrated <laughs> that a little while ago Thank with you. your story. <laughs> you. Yeah, great. So what is currently maybe a challenge or something that you're facing? I assume being at home is nice and with your family, but I'm sure there's other things that maybe work you have pending here things you want to do or there's other challenges that you're currently tackling
1: you know i can't really complain and i shouldn't complain when there are 36 million people applying to unemployment benefits in the u.s
0: yeah
1: uh, i have to say the work Nakomut has been go- going really well for us hasn't been really impacted too much uh, but you know my hours are kind of all over the place right now. You know, I'm working California hours from Turkey, which just 10 I'm 10 hours ahead of you. So it's almost 2 a.m. here. And I usually go to bed around 5, wake up at 2 p.m., see my wife for like two hours, and then my Zoom meetings start. I think that's my biggest challenge right now. Hmm. But like I said, I, I can't really complain just seeing. I mean, I have so many friends uh, getting laid off right now. Hmm. but it is a challenge and I'm being a, more mindful about how I can balance this crazy schedule and make sure I'm spending time with my wife, even though we are in sheltering place, just like California, we're not leaving home. So I try to make the best of those um, two, three hours that we spend each day.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to be at home, but of course it brings other challenges. In my work, I'm responsible for our warehouse and they always think, oh, well, you know, you're just at home because I used to go a lot and check on them mm-hmm. and drive out there. And for them, it was kind of like this comment, well, you're you're safe at home. You don't have to be in the warehouse shipping orders. And and I thought to myself, well, yeah, they're I, I understand where they're coming from, right? They're out there in the field and exposing them. So I didn't argue the point, but it's definitely not just being at home. There's definitely challenges yeah. with that. So I'm always curious about people's, routines and habits is there something specific that you do on a daily or just a regular basis that keeps you focused or what or it's just it's something that's important to you
1: it took me a while to establish that routine but once I have it it really has an amazing impact it really impacts the rest of my day the way I start and it takes about two hours uh, my morning routine and this is, this is before I started working U.S. hours. So let me just maybe go back about a month ago where I was working a little bit more on the European hours. And it starts with a, a very light yoga. I don't really do like an hour. It's like 10 to 15 minutes because when I wake up, I feel very stiff and I want to like loosen up a little bit. So a light yoga and then a breakfast. I love my breakfasts. Uh, takes takes a lot thirty forty minutes and while eating I know I shouldn't be watching TV while I'm eating but that's one of my favorite things to do it's just like a watch a Netflix or a YouTube something on YouTube uh, while having my breakfast and then the workouts start I have a couple of YouTube channels I'm happy to share it with you I either do a whole body workout I have some resistant bands or just using No weights, just body weight workouts, or I do platys. So I switch between those to either like whole body workout or a platys workout. And really it gives me a lot of energy. And that's how I start my days having that energy. Um, and you know, we always talk about self-reflection and contemplating and meditating in our classes. And I, I started doing more and more Mm. and it's amazing. Like I said, I'm going to lock myself into this room with no phone, no computer, And I need to think about, because I also do business development for my company. I said, how about some new business development ideas because things have changed. And I said, I'm going to lock myself for an hour, just focus on this. (laughs) (laughs) And you know me, I'm like, after 30 minutes, I was done. But in 30 minutes, I was able to do a 30-minute contemplation and deep thinking on new business ideas. And I came up with six. See, And that just shows the power of Slow down, yeah. pause yeah. and think. I am a true believer in just do nothing but think. Yeah. Um and that's what I've been doing more and more. It's became part of my daily routine now. And it's pretty amazing.
0: And do you sit there do you have something to write? Do you write these ideas down? Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Cut your journal. <laughs>
1: and sometimes I write on my computer too, but I also believe in still writing <laughs> yeah. handwriting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome, I don't have a specific sit down practice to reflect, but i do a I do a lot of walking these days. I go into the Redwood Regional Park here and I walk and if I just direct my thoughts consciously towards reflection and, and there is not a lot of distraction while you're in the woods, right? so that's a good place to do it. Yeah. I have some of the most amazing ideas it's just it just takes a little bit of distraction less time mm-hmm. it's awesome
1: uh, there was this famous saying from Dr. Angelus Arian who we bring a lot of her materials to our teachings uh, she passed away in 2015 I believe cross-cultural anthropologist and she did a lot of work indigenous tribes and just observe how these tribes survived and she had this famous saying there are two speeds in nature it's usually slow most of the time, it's medium. Very rare cases, there is this urgency because there's an attack. Somebody's attacking somebody, like this lion chasing you. So you have to rush and it has, has to be fast. Just looking at our speed, guess which gear we are in most of the time. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. the rush. It's the running, running, running. So you really, I think, taking time, hmm. to slowing down and Watching my cats, my cats sleep eighteen hours a day. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it helps. It helps. Because it doesn't help when you're constantly rushing, right, from one meeting to another.
0: I couldn't agree more. This is one of my biggest realizations of this pandemic, is
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh this slowing down and noticing how rushed I was before. I was literally mm-hmm. just going from one to the next and and now it's like simple things just pausing on my way from my bedroom to my living room and looking out the balcony and and contemplating the clouds even if it's just for you know 10 seconds but there's so many things that i just never noticed just because i was always rushed Mm -hmm. so i love that you said that i think it it's it's great it's also a great piece of advice i think we're all forced to kind of slow down right now right but I think we can even make it even more deliberate by turning off the computer and just being. Well, I appreciate all these wonderful tidbits and pieces of advice and the story that I think anybody can relate to a story and with, with their own experience. Is there anything last that you would like to share a piece of advice for people or take away something that that helps you or that you recommend others do?
1: you know um i didn't think about this i just came to me it's one of my favorite quotes i'm gonna share from rumi who lived in turkey in 1200 so like seven eight hundred years ago and he said you were born with wings you were born with wings why crawl through life why crawl through life so i want i want to remind everybody if if they're feeling that they're crawling right now just want to remind you, you actually had those wings, and maybe you just don't know it yet.
0: Beautiful, I love Rumi too. I didn't know you lived in okay. Turkey, yeah. You did well. Thank you so much, I really appreciate this. Where can people connect with you? Is it your LinkedIn account? Yeah, yeah.
1: People can find me on LinkedIn. I don't have Twitter or Instagram, so LinkedIn is my only social media tool Great. that I like to use. I will so link please yeah, get connected. Yeah,
0: thank awesome. You. I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode. Well, thank you okay. so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.